0: Hello my friends and welcome to Hope for Your Heart This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia So thankful that you're joining us today And today I've entitled the message, Get Out of the Boat Get Out of the Boat, that's a great title for a challenge for us to move on And don't let the past get you all messed up Move on, get out of the boat, trust God for something so big That it's doomed for failure unless He intervenes Well, I was reading a Boston Globe article not too long ago, and it asked the following question. Does money change you? Well, here in the home of the American dream, the article stated, most people are convinced that gaining a lot of money wouldn't change who they are as people. Uh, But is it true? The article reported, as a mounting body of research is showing, wealth can actually change how we think and how we behave and not for the better. Rich people have a harder time connecting with others, showing less empathy to the extent of dehumanizing those who are different from them. They are less charitable, less generous. They are less likely to help somebody who is in trouble. They are more likely to defend an unfair status quo. If you think you behave differently in their place, meanwhile, you're probably wrong. These aren't just inherited traits, but they are developed traits. Money, in other words, changes who you are. The article went on to summarize research studies conducted by a professor at the University of Minnesota that says that she and her colleagues found that the more money you get, the less compassionate you are. And so people who are less friendly have more money. People who are less sensitive to others uh, have more money. And they're more likely to support others and they feel like they are superior to others. And so as we think about this, money can change you but it doesn't have to. And so, when you think about getting out of the boat, we think about this whole subject. I, I want to look at Matthew chapter 14 and uh, status quo. Status quo can be broken, okay? Jesus goes out and he's making disciples. Matthew 14 verse 22 says, immediately, immediately, okay? that's That's action. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, the context of this Is Jesus has just performed many miracles, feeding of the 5,000. He's been blessing the people. The crowds are swelling, and Jesus does something unheard of. He he leaves the crowd behind, and he sends his disciples to get into a boat and go on the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismisses the crowd. After he sends the crowd home, he goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and then later that night, He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Uh, So they spent all night pretty much trying to get this little boat, these disciples, across the sea and uh, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that's coming against it. And then shortly before dawn, just as the sun was about to come up, Jesus goes out to them. He's walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "'Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. "'Lord, if it's you,' Peter replied, "'tell me to come to you on the water. "'Come,' he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, and and he walked onto the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, man, he was afraid. And he began to sink, and he cried out, "'Lord, save me!' Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. "'You have little faith,' he said. "'Why did you doubt?' Well, I want you to know something. When God speaks, it's always with urgency. When God speaks with urgency, it's so that you can be tuned in and that you can be ready for action. Now, I want you to know that you're never going to be in the center of God's will unless you respond to Jesus with urgency. When I read that statement of Christ, there, there there's this urgency immediately, this urgency that it must be done Immediately. Francis Shan said this, when I read the statements of Christ, there seems to be this urgency, this intensity. I guess that's what I get out of it when I read the tone of scriptures, which is very different from the tone of our culture. You see, when I read the words of Christ, there is this urgency. I notice verse number 22 says that immediately, with urgency, Jesus tells his disciples to get into the boat and to go on ahead of him onto the other side. Okay, okay, don't miss this. Now, here's the background. Herod is thinking Jesus is John the Baptist, who's been resurrected from the dead. Jesus jumps into the boat so that he can spend some more time in prayer, but this big crowd walks and meets Christ in his remote area, and they wanted to be healed. Jesus starts to teach them. In fact, he's been teaching them all day. It's getting late and the crowd's getting hungry, so Jesus tells his disciples to feed them and the disciples said, "Man, we don't have enough money to feed them. We're out here in this remote place and even if we did have the money to feed them. Where are we going to get the food?" The disciples wanted to just send the crowd home. Jesus says, "No, no, no. I'm not going to send the crowd home. I uh, see what you got. We've got uh we've got an inventory of what we have here. All we have is the lunch of a little boy, five loaves, two fishes and man, that's not enough to feed this crowd. You know, too often we we offer Jesus nothing because we think it's too little. And it won't make much of a difference, but here Jesus takes little, and we say little is much if Jesus is in it, and too often we avoid people because we can't meet all of their needs, so we opt out to meet none of them. Jesus says, give me what you have, and I will multiply it. And you know the rest of the story. Not only were the 5,000 men fed, but also the women and children, and there were 12 baskets left. Immediately after this miracle was done, Jesus makes the disciples go to the other side. Why? Why? Because he is sending them into the storm. Yeah, Jesus is sending them into the storm to test their faith. Now, the disciples didn't know what was ahead of them. And and I'm sure the disciples at this stage of the game wanted to sit around and, and, and just discuss this feeding of the 5,000. But Jesus insists, get into that boat. Go to the other side. The crowds are dispersed. The disciples jump into the boat. And Jesus withdraws himself to the mountains to pray. Now, there's some interesting conditions that we see that Peter was facing when it was time to get out of that boat. That's some really valuable lessons, okay? You know, when you think about a lesson... A lesson not learned is a lesson that will be repeated. I think my mom told me that a hundred times. If you don't learn your lesson, you're going to have to repeat your lesson. And uh, and I was a slow learner. I was a hard-headed person. And so there's a lot of things that I've had to learn through the school of hard knocks. And, and maybe you're the same way as I am. I think that's how Peter was. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, it says, Matthew eight twenty three, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and there rose up a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was fast asleep. And he went down and he woke him up and said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Then he rose up and he rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds of the sea obey him? Now, I read that passage, and that is found in Matthew chapter 8. The passage where Peter walks on the water, rather, is Matthew chapter 14. We discover that a phrase is used in both of these instances where Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? Uh, They were afraid when they were in the storm, and Jesus was in the boat, and Jesus is in the bottom of the boat, and he's falling asleep, and they're filled with fear, and so Jesus rebukes the storm, and he tells the storm to calm down. And then we discover that the disciples says, what sort of man is this that even the winds of the sea obey him? But when we get into chapter number 14, these disciples didn't learn the lesson that God is in control. They had little faith. So Jesus says, why do you doubt? I want to think about the conditions that Peter was facing when he got out of the boat. First of all, it was a dangerous time, right? Uncertain future. Going back to our main text, uh, the Bible says that the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. It was being buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was coming against it. The disciples find themselves in the middle of a mess, too far from either shore. It was a dangerous time. You know, when written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters one represents danger. And the other represents opportunity. Oh, yeah, it's a dangerous time, but it's also a time of opportunity. Now, maybe you're going through a crisis right now, and you're wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do? It is a dangerous time. It's an uncertain time. I don't know what to do. Oh, look at the opportunities that God is placing before you right now. Here's the lesson. 1 Peter 4, 12, Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You know, life is filled with dangerous times. Oh, I wish I could eliminate all the danger from my life and all the danger from your life. I wish I could wrap everybody up and bubble wrap and make everybody safe. But the bottom line is, these are dangerous times. It's always been dangerous times. But look at the opportunities that God has placed before you. Don't be surprised when the trials come. Expect them. You know, if I can expect something, I, I can prepare for it. And I can take it a whole lot better. You ever have somebody share some news with you and they say, hey, I think you need to sit down uh, because they want you to be prepared for some really uh, harsh news and some maybe some real real sad news that you're about to receive. And, and so they want to try to prepare you for that. You know, as I think about dangerous times, we should not be surprised by dangerous times. They have come to test us. Don't think it's strange. It is a test time for us. Don't fail the test, okay? Here's the second thing. We learn also that it was a dark time for Peter and the disciples. I mean, they had an unclear presence. I mean, it was right before dawn. And you know that expression, it's always darkest just before dawn. They were living in a very dark time physically and spiritually. I love what the psalmist said about darkness. Even the darkness is not dark to you, Lord. The night is bright as day. For darkness is as light to you. You know, in God's economy, there's no dark days. There's no light days. They're all light days because even when it's dark, God is in control. He is piercing into the dark. He is the one that is bringing us this opportunity to drive ourselves to him during our dark times. The lesson that Peter learned is that he's got to cast all of his anxiety upon him because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. I love how this comes together. Peter learning some valuable lessons as he's out in that storm, walking across the water, losing his faith, beginning to sink, and crying out to the Lord. He learns it's a dangerous time, but it's a great time for him to not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes his way. It's a dark time for him, but he's learned to cast all of his care upon him because he cares for us. Now, there's a third thing that we see. It was also a defeating time. I mean, their strength was depleted. Their vision was impaired. They were exhausted. They were defeated. It it was a bad combination. We could say this is a perfect setup for a perfect storm. You ever been there? Things falling apart and you're throwing up your hands. It's like, I cannot believe something else has taken place. You know, defeat should be our teacher, not our undertaker. The greatest test of courage on the earth is to bear defeat without losing heart. Oh yeah, it was a difficult time. The lesson that Peter learned, he wrote in 1 Peter 4 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Oh, don't you love that? In your times where you're feeling defeated, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Oh, I'm so thankful for those who reach out in love in times of difficulty, times where you feel defeated, you feel exhausted, you feel that this is a perfect storm that is coming to ruin your life. It was Dale Carnegie who said, In action breeds doubt and fear. Action will breed confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, don't sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. In times of defeat, in times of discouragement, don't throw in the towel. I, I love the fact that Peter got out of that boat the rest of the disciples are uh, looking at Peter said, man, you're crazy. But Peter got out of that boat. And even when he began to sink, he knew who to cry out to. Listen, I have more respect for the person who will try something and fail than the person who never gets out of the boat. I want you to know that God wants to do a great thing through you. And oftentimes, the greatest blessings come in our lives right after our greatest defeat. Yeah, I remember our church when we were buying our land Uh, We were so discouraged as a church. We were going through a hard time and we had no money and uh, we couldn't get things to come together the way we thought they should be coming together. And uh, as a matter of fact, we were so poor as a church. I I thought that we had written a bad uh, church check to a camp where our kids were attending And so I ran up to the bank and put some of my personal money uh, to cover this check that I thought had been written that was going to bounce. And I said, man, I can't have the church uh, check bouncing. And and so we covered that. You know, that was in July. Did you know from July to April the next year, God did some miraculous things in our church? Listen, turnarounds can happen quicker than you think. That's why don't get hung up on the bad times, right? Because turnarounds can take place a lot quicker than you think. From July to April, in that short amount of time, nine months time. We went from not being able to afford to uh, send our kids to youth camp to being able to afford 35 acres of land in the Hickory section of Chesapeake. To God be the glory. It was coming out of it a time of defeat, but God began to raise up a group of people in the congregation. And people were getting saved and added to the church. And as a result of that, we were able to get some funds together and able to get a bank that would give us some financing. And uh, and lo and behold, God began to work it all together for his honor and for his glory. I've discovered something about people who go through hard times successfully versus those who go through hard times and it just knocks them down. What was different about Peter? Now, there's something very unique about Peter. The first thing I see that's different about Peter is that he traded fear for courage. Somebody said this, take risks. If you win, you'll be happy. If you lose, you'll be wiser. So don't be afraid to take risks. Peter was trading the fear of that storm and he traded it for courage. It says when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. They had fear. They're not refusing to acknowledge they had fear. They were not asking for it. They weren't looking for it. They weren't working toward it. It was just there. The storm had come. Jesus is gone, and and uh, the Sea of Galilee is notorious for having these storms come out of nowhere, kind of like if you live here in the Hampton Roads area, this summer, uh, we're going to have thunderstorms that come out of nowhere, right? And sometimes they're spin off into tornadoes and and tornado watches and all that stuff. They seem to come out of nowhere. Uh, That's where the disciples were. Out of nowhere, this storm comes up. And then they look out across the waves of the Sea of Galilee, and they see this ghost coming across. uh, That was Jesus. And they're filled with fear. Fear was consuming them. But then Jesus offers a gift. He didn't delay in offering it. He immediately said, take courage, it is I. You know, a very similar phrase that is offered during communion. Take, this is my body, which is broken for you. you now Jesus didn't calm the storm first. He calmed the disciples first. The storm revealed a fear. It didn't create a fear. Lisa Beamer reflects on the loss of her husband in the book, Let's Roll. Slowly, I begin to understand that the plans God has for us don't just include good things, but the whole array of human events. The prospering he talks about in the book of Jeremiah is often the outcome of a bad event. She said, I remember my mom saying that many people look for miracles, things that are in their human minds and they fix a difficult situation. Many miracles, however, are not a change to the normal course of human events, they're found in God's ability and God's desire to sustain us and to nurture people through even the worst situations. Somewhere along the way, I stopped demanding that God fix my problems in my life, and I started to be thankful for his presence as I endured them. So Peter had a different attitude. He traded his fear for courage, and secondly, Peter allowed his feet to follow his faith. He said, verse 28, Lord. If it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on that water with you. Uh, did you know that Faith was directing Peter's footsteps in second corinthians five seven It says, "So we are always to be of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, while we're away from the, the Lord, we walk by faith, not by sight. You see when Peter walked by sight, he saw that ghost when he walked by faith. He saw the Savior. Walking by faith means living in light of eternal consequences. The walk by faith is to fear God more than I fear man. It is to obey the Bible even when it conflicts with man's commands. To choose righteousness over sin no matter what the cost. To trust God in every circumstance. And to believe that God rewards those who diligently seek Him regardless of who says otherwise. Peter allowed his faith to dictate where his feet went. There's something else I see about Peter that's quite astounding. Even while Peter was sinking, he still cried out to the Savior. Abraham Lincoln said this, My greatest concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. Peter began to sink, he began to fail, but he cried out to the Savior. This is what he said, when he saw the wind and he was afraid, Peter began to sink, but he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. I want you to know that the Lord is able to save you in the midst of the storms of your life as well, even when you're sinking, even when you're feeling like you're overwhelmed. Why don't we do what we know we should do? You know, that's a question that I ask myself often. You know, Just recently, I had to go to a little test at the hospital, and I was really kind of disappointed with myself because I became overwhelmed with fear, afraid of taking this test because of what the test may show, and, and, and I just was overwhelmed with fear. But you know, I just prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, give me comfort. Give me peace. And no matter what happens with these tests, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You know why we don't do what we ought to do? It's because of indecision. Yeah, we're, we're afraid to make a, a decision. Indecision and delays are the parents of failure. In 1 Kings 18, 21, it says, Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But look it, the people didn't answer him a word. They didn't know what to do. They were filled with indecision. Now, I think if we were to ask the other disciples in that boat, why didn't you get out of the boat? They would have said, well, we hadn't made up our minds yet. They were silent with indecision, running things through their minds, contemplating what they were going to do. You know, James even addresses this matter of indecision and doubting. In James one six, he says, but when you ask for something, you must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. I wonder if James had in his mind these disciples as they're on this boat and the waves are driving him up and down and and they're unable to make a decision. And because he uses that analogy of that surf of the sea, driven, tossed and fro by the wind. That man doesn't receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. And Jesus drives home the point that we should make a decision, Matthew 5, 37. He says, all you need to do is say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You see, we don't do what we know we should do oftentimes because of indecision. There's a second reason we don't often do what we ought to do. And I would say it's because of perfectionism. We want things to be done perfectly. I had somebody one time tell me, if I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. You know, I understand that to a point, but Ecclesiastes eleven four 4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll get nothing done. You know, I've always liked Charlton Heston, who played Moses in the Ten Commandments in that, that old 1956 film. You know, Heston passed away way back in 2008. I think he was 84 years old when he passed away. Heston may have won many awards, but he was not a man to rest on his laurels. He was something of a perfectionist. He said, One of the things about acting or painting or writing or composing music is that you never get it exactly right. You can spend a lifetime, and if you're honest with yourself, never once was your work perfect. People say to me, You've got the awards and you've got the parts and you've got the money. What are your goals now? And I say, To get it right one time. Well, we're never going to be perfect. We are to strive for perfection but we're never going to get it exactly right. Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.12, and he says, I haven't already obtained, I haven't already become perfect, but I'm going to keep pressing on. And I'm going to press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I have laid hold on by Jesus Christ. Don't let perfection hold you back. There's another thing that was different about Peter. Peter overcame indecision. Peter overcame perfectionism Peter overcame fear. In 1 Peter 3.13, it says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Don't you love that? Peter overcame that fear. And he said, don't be afraid of those who can do things to cause suffering in your life. Don't let that stop you. In Psalm 27, verse number one, it says, You know, the Lord is my light, and He is my salvation. Who am I going to be afraid of? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, I'm going to ask you to join me tomorrow because I'm going to finish up this list that I'm going through with why we don't do what we know we should do. We've covered just a couple of things today in the broadcast, and we'll finish this list tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And in the closing moments of the broadcast today... I want to personally invite you to come and worship at Hickory Ridge Community Church. The director of our Celebrate Recovery ministry, Greg Mayshock, told me the other day, he says, You know, Pastor, everyone who lives in Hampton Roads is within 30 minutes of Hickory Ridge Community Church. And I got thinking about that. 30 minutes is not that far to drive to come to church. So why don't you come check us out this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045 Hickory Ridge Community Church, 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South, Chesapeake, Virginia. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us.